this evening um, I'd like to offer a few um, pointers and guidances, suggestions about working in practicing in soul-making dyads in pairs. Um, just to say a little bit about that, it's um, like so much of this is, is a huge subject, so many possibilities, so many uh, things to consider, to explore, etc. So I just want to say a little bit about that, or pick up a few, a few of those um, pieces there and possibilities there. Um, again, things to look out for, things to consider, things to practice. So far, in uh, or at least in the last few years, um, we've we've worked in twos and threes, and there are some guided meditations there over the years. Um, I think we call them temenos exercises and things like that. So. Uh, what we've done is introduced the uh, exercise, uh, usually in twos, usually with the human other, but could be with an imaginal other, the intrapsychic imaginal other, or a uh, an object or a being in nature, a tree or whatever it is, a flower, um, and the exercise of what we call the balance of attention or twoness, um, uh, as a sort of pointed out a sort of a basic practice in the sense of it forms a basis for soul making, for imaginal practice, for sensing the soul. So we could regard that as, as one kind of uh, preliminary in a way to soul making and to imaginal practice in diet. The other thing that we put out, and I think we did call this more specifically temenos exercises, was a sort of um, three-part exercise, either in twos or threes or sometimes fours, I think, where um, one would take it in turns to um, check in uh, with sensitivity and express, share to the other other or others uh, what was happening in the energy body, the other person or persons would take their turns doing the same thing um, with the full uh, the full sensitivity of uh, witnessing, of listening, of receiving and looking at another. Uh, second go-round would be uh, the emotions and the uh, third uh, would be the possibility of sharing an image or something that had touched your soul. Uh, recently. Um, so that's a very brief explanation. I would encourage listening to those uh, exercises again. Um, there's a few of them dotted over the last two or three years um, because there's quite a lot of nuances in the instructions. And sometimes um, if you were there and you took part, and most people. Uh, seem to enjoy it or, or want to pursue it and people are pursuing that kind of practice um, it could well be that um, one sort of 
thinks, oh, I've, I've got that now, I've got the instructions, and takes that away and starts to play with it, which is great. Um, but it might well be worth listening again, because as we put them out there in the, in the sort of flow of the guidance of it, um, from Catherine or me, there will, um, there's quite a lot of, as I said, nuance there, um, little things one can introduce, things to consider, things to incorporate into that practice. And I think I talked about it as a kind of like, um, almost like practicing your scale. So it's a little bit contrived to um, separate our energy body, then emotion, then image, um, like that in sort of three tiers, and go in order like that. But like practicing scales, you know, you, you separate something, you isolate it, and you work on it. And then when you come to um, the piece that you want to play on the piano or whatever your instrument is, um, it, it, uh, the ability that to, to play the scales well and having practiced them really feeds into the fluency, the fluidity, the capacity to improvise, the responsiveness, the subtlety that you can then bring to bear on um, the real music, so to speak. Um, think there so there's these two two levels so far that we've put out the balance of attention exercise and this sort of three part what we call the terminus exercise um, and there's the possibility of sharing images with each other and um, uh, which we included sometimes and which people are doing I think already some people um, there's also the possibility to, um, uh, or we encourage tracking the effects of what is shared, of what's happening, of the perception that's happening, and the possibility of voicing those effects. When, when you shared that, or when you shared that image, or um, this is what happens in my emotions, energy, body, um, or this is what arises imaginally for me, this is what arises in terms of sensing the soul with me. Um, and the possibility of of putting that into the dyad, into the crucible of the dyad, um, that kind of careful, sensitive tracking and respectful um, sharing of that, uh, of the effects of basically of what is happening right now for um, for both people. And there's different forms that that can take. And then there's maybe a whole other level where uh, the um, uh, that each person becomes image for the other, or you, or the dyad itself becomes an image. Um, so there can be a sharing of um, this meeting uh, and the perception of self and other in in this time right now in this meeting, and and the perception of that uh, when it's sensed with soul. And as I said, there's different forms you can you can do that with, and other levels. And I suppose there's a whole other level where uh, where there's really a lot of eros going on there. And I'm not going to talk so much about that level um, tonight. There's a lot of eros going on between the pairs of the uh, the, the the two elements of the diet, the two people in the diet. Um, so that's possible as well. In a way, the whole thing kind of gets turbocharged then in terms of the because of the eros and the the um, insemina 
acting quality of that, the whole thing gets very, very rich. And um, and needs a lot of care and a lot of skill. Actually, all this, all these levels need a lot of care and a lot of skill. So I want to say a few things and um, about perhaps th- these different possible levels of practicing in a diet, or some of them at least, and um, and some general things about that. So the first is, um, which I already just uh, alluded to, is just how um, potent uh, uh, a, a diet can be, or, or working in tries, or, or basically um, sharing images with other um, in that kind of intimate, open rapport there. Um, just how potent that, that can be, and some of you will know this, the way um, all kinds of things can get sparked and ignited, sometimes very, very beautiful soul-making perceptions, and sometimes really difficult reactions or contractions. As a as a entity, if you like, or as a, as a kind of um, crucible or vehicle... Um, working in relationship is potentially is a very sensitive um, crucible. In other words, um, little changes can make big differences. Um, Now, all that's uh, the the case when one practices solo, so to speak, um, on one's own, eyes open, eyes closed, uh, sensing the soul. Um, it's, It's very potent, um, and it's very sensitive to all the responses, the relationships, the manipulations, the leanings, the navigation, etc. Um, and a dyad, I'm not sure if it's more sensitive, but it's, de- it's definitely it's a sensitive space. The space is sensitive in the sense that it responds, and everything responds. The energy, the emotion, the heart, the, the, the perception, the soul the mind, all of that. So just as we emphasized over the last few years, you know, a kind of sense of, hmm, maybe there are some prerequisites for this whole endeavor of imaginal practice and sensing the soul and soul-making dharma. Um, similarly too, we might, we might, you know, it would be wise to pause and consider well, what kind of skills am I going to need if I want to, if I want diet or triad practice to work uh, well, to be fruitful, to be soul-making, to be safe, to be beautiful, uh, not to harm, uh, not to end up in more contraction and confusion, etc. And so a lot of skills are needed there. We could, um, again, uh, outline some of them, but just just to... um, just to pause with this, you know, it, it might be that, I don't know, for most people, for a lot of people, or what proportion of people, a lot of soul-making happens in relationship with other human beings, um, especially those who are interested in soul-making. Um, or at least a lot of eros and image can be activated in, that re- in those relationships. And the question is, as I've just been saying, the question is whether... Um, it keeps uh, uh, the initial sort of spark that feels soul-making can actually keep 
sustain its generativity, sustain its fertility, sustain basically the soul-making dynamic, the eros psyche logos dynamic, deepening, widening, enriching um, the, the whole uh, soul and experience, or whether uh, that whole dynamic um, and perhaps even the relationship as well um, breaks in some way, short circuits, it blows a fuse or backfires. So this is really uh, the crucial question here. Um, part of the way problems can arise and the soul-making dynamic, the Eurosychologist dynamic, can get disrupted um, is <clears throat> in and around so actually in the times of relating, but also around the times of relating uh, with, with another. Um, so being conscious uh, about boundaries, respecting boundaries, depending you know, depend on people's situations, uh, whatever their relationship commitments are and other things... Um, there's all kinds of boundaries, in fact, but being conscious about boundaries, respecting boundaries, ethical considerations in some cases, um, conscious of energy, emotion, psychological patterns, um, re- re- relational and communicative sort of uh, patterns and skills and possibilities, um, as well as handling skillfully you know, erotic charge, desire, image and the, uh, the uh, slides, uh, inevitable slides at times into, into reification or um, dismissal or uh, sliding into craving, etc. And noticing all this, responding to all that, um, developing one's skill and art, um, really important, and a certain amount of skill uh, with all that, um, and other elements too, prerequisites we could say, to um, fertile and sustainable soul making in relationship with other human beings and fellow soul makers. So we haven't talked too much about that and uh, given too much guidance as well, I want to say a little bit tonight, but even what I say tonight, as I say, is, is a little bit limited. Um, partly why I'm going into it is just I'm aware that people are practicing in diets and um, uh, and noticing, as I said, the potency, the sensitivity, the care that's needed, and maybe getting a sense of the ca- some of the caution and skill and art that's needed. So it seems like a good, um, it would be good to say a few things about that. Um, and as I said, that for many people, a good proportion of soul-making happens in relationship. So it feels important. Um, Let's see. Um, So, again, not not to underestimate how intimate it is um, to uh, share and to share in this way with others in the soul-making diet. Um, To share one's psychological history or one's difficult history um, in one's life, uh, wounds and patterns, uh, is is intimate. 
there's something about sharing images that are really soul-making for us, that really touch us, that feel uh, that, it, that that generally often feels even more intimate than, say, sharing uh, some history of being abused or something like that, or just sharing a difficult emotion or a lovely emotion uh, that that's. Uh, with a certain vulnerability of that. There's something about the level of intimacy of um, sharing soul, sharing, sensing the soul, sharing image with other that tends to even surpass those kinds of um, intimacies, um, of sharing, of, of revealing, of again, psychological history or, or emotion in the present moment. Um, and it's curious, and I've pointed this out before, it's curious, it's like one, it, this thing, in, from one respect, isn't even real. It didn't even really happen, and yet it touches my soul, and it's important to my soul in ways that are um, so profound and so um, meaningful and so central uh, that there's, there's, it's really an intimate space to, to enter into with someone, and that needs a lot of respect and care. And the range and pitch of skills or art needed to sustain it. Um, so don't underestimate that, the range and pitch of skills uh, needed to sustain it and to enable it to be soul-making. Because we will need, in these kind of practices, um, to, to be able to work well and skillfully with difficulties and r- relational problems when they arise. And uh, that's part of being in any healthy relationship, and um, uh, and, and it, it, it can very easily arise in these kinds of relationships. If you have someone you're working with over time, or even just this, just this one time that you're doing a diet and something difficult comes up. So you know, if we if we just think just for a moment about prerequisites, immediately you know comes to mind. Do do I have have I developed a certain amount of um, uh, awareness of my emotional life? Um, so that doesn't just mean the difficult emotions. It means also the subtle movements, slight boredom, slight excitement, um, slightly uh, wanting something. You know. Do we call that an emotion? Yes, it's a, we could in, 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 the big, in the big definition of emotion. These are all kind of colors or leanings, inclinations, um, states of the heart and consciousness at any time. And to be aware, to be able to uh, notice these um, movements of the heart and changes in the heart, it's really, really crucial. So the more of that there is, the, 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 the better uh, placed one is to, um, to be able to do these kinds of practices. You know, and some people could say just not quite ready, in the same way they're just not quite ready for imaginal practice, really. Um, then do I have skill with my emotions? So this is, this is happening, this difficult emotion, or this lovely emotion, can I tolerate it? Can I um, be with it? Can I um, give it what it needs? Um, because I may not be getting that from another person, and I may have to give it what it needs. Um, 
can I slow down, if necessary, whatever processes in the mind and the impulses that has kick-started. There's all kinds of skills involved, and that's why we put a lot of emphasis in soul-making dharma on emotional awareness, emotional skill, working with the energy body and those are integrated. Um, so all that would be prerequisites. And really, as you're listening, to really... Um, Ask yourself, you know, how, how well developed are, are those um, those building blocks for me? Basic mindfulness, you know, if I can't um, be there and be present and sustain my attention, uh, you know, to some extent, sustain my focus on what's happening, let's say in this diet, in my experience, the other person is sharing or... Um, or the sense of the field, you know, uh, without a sort of basic training in mindfulness and that capacity to sort of remain engaged and plugged in and alive, present, um, sensitive to what's going on, attentive, alert, you know, um, the crucible is cracked. There's no, there's no possibility of it holding its uh, material and holding whatever fire is there, etc., energy, body, skill and awareness we already mentioned. Where am I with the the whole middle way? The whole imaginal middle way or the emptiness middle way? Either either one would would help um, when there's reification. I start start, um, believing this image of self or other or or the the couple or, or whatever in a way that's too tight, too literal, too solid, um, and usually usually will ensue either right then or in the course of time with some kind of problems or uh, not-so-wise choices, etc. Where am I? Again, we're talking about um, uh, prere- possible prerequisites. Where am I with the fullness of intention? And when I enter into these kinds of uh, spaces, um, formal space of working and soul-making diet, what am I really wanting there? And how easily, of course, for us as human beings, the intention can uh, contract to something uh, smaller, less noble, less expansive, less profound, less, less open to possibility. And something sneaks in, sometimes we're unconscious of it. I'm just, I'm actually trying to get this, whatever it is, approval, respect, um, a good feeling about myself, some kind of, um, uh, maybe I actually want to pursue a relationship with this person, uh, which may or may not be fine, you know, depending on all kinds of other conditions. But am I clear about what my intentions are? And can I open up that... um, that field of intention to the what we you know the fullness of intention and that and that element of the imaginal that node. So all these uh, and more will be prerequisites and really um, to ponder for oneself uh, how developed they are and whether they need more work. Um, and if so, you know you might want to pitch the um, dyad practice so that it's not further ahead uh, than, than you're actually equipped for. So it's not more advanced than you actually have the, the tools to cope with and the resources to cope with. So, so if we go back to what I said at the beginning, you know, we talked about the balance of attention exercise, the three-part exercise, um, 
emotion, energy, body, image, etc. Sorry, energy, body, emotion, image, etc. And sharing it. You know, spending a while with those um, before opening it up to other possibilities or other forms may be really wise, depending on where you get the sense of what's the appropriate pitch. Um, it may be, in general, it may be actually, um, no, for a while now, I just need to practice the balance of attention thing. Um, that's really what will serve uh, me and serve my soul, etc. Um, and not be in such a hurry to go into imaginal practice. So the balance of attention is not necessary, it's not uh, kind of, um, it's not really a soul-making practice in a sense. Um, it's, a, it's a preparatory exercise, but it's so important. So important for a healthy relationship, so important for a soul-making diet, so important for imaginal practice. So there's this possibility of pitching, and again, the wisdom, the listening, the discerning, uh, 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 and um, getting a sense of where, where does it need to pitch right now? What do, what do I need to kind of... Uh, what's my pitch right now? What's my level right now? And that right now, might, as I said, might be for a while. It might be right now, in this moment, this afternoon, whatever it is. Um, because actually just being opposite another human being and uh, sitting a few feet from another, a couple of feet from another, whatever it is, um, bodies, in a way, open to each other, looking at each other, for a lot of people, is is pretty damn intense. Um, and for some people, it will, it will be soul-making. It won't necessarily be imaginal, but it will be soul-making just to be in relationship, in dyadic relationship or triadic relationship. It's not imaginal, but it's soul-making in the sense that... Um, Remember, the imaginal is, is, if you like, a subset of soul-making. So it might be soul-making in the sense of it's stretching one's soul's capacity and one's learning things that feel meaningful to the soul. It's not yet imaginal, but the soul is growing. So there's a kind of um, eros-psychologos dynamic uh, unfolding there. So for, for, for many people, just to be in relationship that way... Um, so deliberately, so carefully, so openly, uh, so present to each other, and so um, intimate, if you if you like, will be will feel soul making, and that's great. And and uh, and so one should you know not hurry through just that level of it. Um, so yes, the, the the being looked at, um, uh, just being being an object of someone else's gaze, you know, a few feet, and so they're sustained looking at you, they're sustained taking you in. Um, the, the, the charge of that often for, for many people in our culture, um, the whole, <coughs> which I've talked about before, the whole kind of um, complication and difficulty that can go with being seen, um, and then the sense of openness, uh, perhaps in, in sharing what everyone's sharing, or just in being present with the body, um, you know, open to another in that way. Um, the intimacy that, that involves, um, being honest with another, um, learning, uh, for example, developing the skill with this, uh, playing with the balance of attention, playing with the sense of tuners, all that is really, really important stuff, and may, may itself feel soul-making, and, and it's not imaginal yet. So, really, to get a sense of the different pitches uh, that you can 
uh, play at and exercise at and um, uh, you know what, what might be appropriate there rather than just um, in some cases trying to do something that's um, really beyond you just because it sounds like the most exciting or sexy thing or, or whatever uh, so you know the careful discernment there the questioning, the openness if we uh, just spend a few moments talking about that balance of attention exercise or the two-ness exercise um, uh, as I said there's quite a lot to this uh, in the sense that it it sounds really simple but actually uh, many people find it quite difficult so you could uh, very much just in, sit down with someone else with that intention particularly. Let's play exactly just with that, with the balance of attention, with the two-ness. Um, and one thing you might do if you decide to do such a thing or, or at another time in, in, in the context of some other uh, dyadic practice, um, one thing is really important is to notice the tendency of your attention. Like, What do you notice over time is your... Uh, is your kind of habit when in in close relationship, when kind of um, confronted with another and that kind of openness, etc. Is it, for instance, to somehow lose yourself? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm so uh, attentive to the other that I, I, I don't even notice what I'm feeling or sensing uh, or what I need or want or all of that. Um, do, do, is there a kind of merging? And sometimes it actually feels like um, a, a person sort of their attention almost goes into the other person, and there's no attention in their in their own locus, in their own space. So just just to notice, not to judge, and this is really really important. Can I withhold the judging? So there's going to be tendencies we notice, um, perhaps to lose a self, perhaps to merge, perhaps to kind of. Um, uh, I notice that in in relationship, and, and it gets even more clear in uh, when we're sort of face to face like that. There's a kind of perhaps subtle, perhaps grosser way I I kind of comply um, uh, with what I think or believe or um, presume or perceive the other ones. I find myself bending to that, and I haven't even decided to do that. It's an unconscious bending to fit um, the some usually some idea of what the other person wants, uh, which of course may not even be, be actually what they want. So I might notice something like that. Um, I might notice that I need to somehow entertain the other person. Um, I need to look good. I need to perform. I need to perhaps be a certain way, whatever that way might be. They need to see love coming through my eyes. They need to uh, think I'm attractive, that, I, that I'm deep, that I'm intelligent, that I'm this or that, uh, that the Holy Spirit moves in me, that um, uh, uh, you know it's obvious that I'm an angel, whatever. It could be all kinds of things. But, but one, one possibility is just to sit down and practice balance of attention or be in a diet with the intention to just notice what's my tendency. Or what was my tendency right now? And then over time, one might, one might say, oh, I have a, a kind of um, a regular tendency, or it's quite common for me to, to, to take that shape or to morph this way or whatever it is.
So really, really important. Um, is it if you're doing just that level of exercise? Is it possible um, to just notice? Um, there is certainly the possibility of uh, um, bringing uh, different different um, responses in, uh, bringing wisdom or compassion or soulful re- responses in many different ways um, to open it up, to free it. But actually one really uh, useful thing to do is just to notice and see if I can just... Uh, notice also what what the effects of that on my being are um, now of course we might notice uh, effects in the in the dyad that are quite complex but we might also notice just that there's some judgment of it or we're impatient with ourselves or whatever what if we just notice that I notice this tendency I notice the judgment and just create some space around that so the exercise at this point is not trying to, to do anything else other than notice and create space and um, and feel the effects of this of this pattern. Um, it may be that within that then some compassion uh, for yourself comes in um, and that and that's going to have an effect you know so that's important too. So that's a very very um, important level of exercise, but also um, potentially really helpful. Um, you could say quite basic, but really, really, really helpful um, for, for, for many people. Uh, then there's other possibilities that one can um, uh, exercise and, and try out. So, um, for example... Um, <clears throat> Some practices, like uh, in some Mahamudra or Dzogchen practices, or um, they encourage uh, meditating with the eyes open, but relaxing the gaze. So usually, what happens it, with the way the eyes work, the way the visual senses work, is the the, the eyes and the eye muscles actually focus on something, and and for that, the eye muscles have to kind of. Um, hold themselves in a certain in a certain focus and there's a kind of intentness and intensity in that it's quite subtle um, but it's it's quite a different mode to open the eyes and relax the gaze so they're actually not focusing on anything and so you can try this just you know, it doesn't have to be in, a, in, a, in an actual diet but you can just try it what is it to open the eyes and relax the gaze you will notice, actually, you, the, the rest of your body relaxing as you relax the gaze. It's like the eyes and the visual focus is not singling out and focusing on any one object. It's just open to a field of um, visual form and color and, and perception there. Um, it's a more general field. And... In, in that, then, we, in terms of the balance of attention, we could say the attention is not going out so much to this object. It's in a more receptive mode. So as I said, in, in some practices, some Dharma practices, like some Dzogchen and Mahamudra teachings, they will practice that a lot, a lot, a lot, and really develop that practice and take it in a certain direction uh, to do with the nature of awareness, etc., as they would see it. Um, but doing doing that 
just on your own in, in a room, doing your own, doing it on your own outside in nature, and getting used to that shift of being able, and then go back to focusing on something, that tree or the, whatever it is. Um, really, really skillful noticing the effects. And then, and then for a while, you could practice that in a dyad with someone. So, what is it? Um, I'm sitting opposite someone, and I relax the gaze. And in that, actually, my visual field opens up to the whole space. Now, this person might be talking, and uh, I can still hear what they're saying. I can still take in what they're saying, but my whole, uh, I'm not focused on them as an object. It's much more in the, um, uh, it, they, they become part of the space, like a, just a, they're embedded in the space and in much less prominent in the space. They're still going to be prominent, obviously, but uh, much less so. And so if there's a tendency to sort of focus too much on the other, practicing in that way, um, really, really helpful. Something one can do, and, and uh, it, it relaxes that sort of um, intensity or forward uh, th- thrust, if you like, into, into the other person. Which is um, quite quite a common thing. Um, it's possible. Uh, then within that, it's possible to do that and also just be aware of one's own experience at the same time. You know what's happening with me emotionally. Like for instance, if you do that, you'll be aware. Oh, when I do that, the shoulders relax and something in my belly relaxes and the heart. Uh, something something softens in the heart, and then one might notice other emotions, etc. But correspondingly, then the gaze doesn't need to be so penetrative uh, to one's own experience. So this is again part of playing with the balance of, of attention there. Uh, so I hope that makes sense as an option. Um, another another possibility again is to. Uh, if you've done uh, a fair amount of metta practice, and especially if you've done metta practice um, the way I would teach it, which is connected to, intimately connected to, and involving the energy body, then another possibility is to um, imagine, just use the imagination uh, to to kind of uh, see and sense. Uh, if you like, a, a meta-bubble or a meta-field that encompasses uh, you and the other person or persons in the dyad or triad. Um, so that that becomes part of the awareness as well. And there's a sense of us sitting, not me necessarily giving meta to them, I mean, that's fine too, um, but us sitting in, in a field or a, a bubble, a cloud of meta. Um, and the more one can imagine that and, and, and get a sense of it and, and feel the softness and the care in it uh, and the feel, the holding of it and, and feel it also in the energy body to some extent at least um, that's going to really help the whole sense of, of this uh, the, the sometimes what can be a problematic intensity or fear in a dyad um, but also the balance of attention, because there the attention has gone to the field as well, as a, as, a, as a total space, rather than just that person, or just my contracting to my experience. And then, of course, you know, we've, we, what we've done uh, in the last couple of years, two or three years, when we, when we introduced this exercise with the balance of attention, is play with, okay, can it be um, 
uh, 100% my attention is with my experience. So I'm maybe aware that there's a person there, but I'm not giving them... I'm really just attuning to my energy body, my emotions, my thoughts, my experience here. Can it be uh, 20% with the other person and 80% with me? Can it be 50-50? Can it be... 80% with the other person, 20% with me, etc. So that kind of, again, very deliberate exercise. And you see, oh, where, this gear is a bit jammed. It's hard to get for me to get into that gear. Or for someone else, that gear is quite normal and easy. It's the sort of default that just keeps slipping into that gear and it's hard to get into another gear. Again, we're interested in range and flexibility and freedom across different ranges. So that would be a really good exercise as well, as we've already done. Um, the other possibility, and I mentioned it when we talked about um, the energy body in this in this series of talks, um, is uh, to, to rather is to ra- rather than to see the other person with with the eyes. Or, uh, of course, one is uh, rather than to conceive that one is uh, seeing and sensing the other person primarily through the eyes. Is just to play with the energy body awareness, and bringing, again, same as we do in imaginal practice, inhabiting, filling out that whole region, that whole space that we call the energy body. And um, uh, you know, how often, if you're paying attention, how often you will notice, either in your own practice, in your own times, um, in informal uh, in you know not formal practice, but also in in relationship in, in in a dyad or triad relationship, how easy it is to lose the energy body sense, or it shrinks, or it's like well I've got my top half, I might have my heart, but where's my uh, where's everything from the waist down? It's just kind of it's a, a dead zone, or we're just not aware of it there. Um, so don't underestimate how often that happens and how helpful it is to uh, keep checking in with the energy body and keep opening it up, uh, opening up, filling it with that awareness and, uh, and, and stretching it that way. So it's really like the whole, the sensitivity pervades that whole space. Um, again and again, uh, it's going to be really, really helpful. Um, and one should notice the effect that that has um, on uh, working with an image, as we talked about, but also sensing the other with soul and the capacity to uh, handle certain um, things in one's own experience or handle what's happening in the in the dyad, etc. But as I mentioned in the other. Um, uh, in the talk on energy body in this in this uh, series in this course, um, there's the possibility too of um, not, as I said, conceiving or, or sensing that it's I'm just looking through the eyes. What is it to get the sense of um, the whole energy body uh, as an organ of sense, as an organ of sensing? So I'm somehow seeing the other with my whole body. I bring that whole body sense into relationship. The center of knowing or perceiving is not simply um, in the head, the eyes or the ears, or if I'm listening or whatever. Um, that might have a center at the heart or the solar plexus or the belly, or it might just pervade the whole 
the whole space like that. Um, re- really, really important. Um, and then, as I say, when I talked about the meta possibility, uh, the meta field, there's also the possibility that the sense of the energy field, the sense of the energy body, begins to um, spread to include uh, the other and the self. And when one has can develop a sense of the energy field um, between two people. Um, I won't say more about that now. I'll, I'll leave that for that. But uh, just how important that is, and how helpful that can be um, when when it feels like either there's um, uh, a tendency to withdraw. Um, in a dyad, to sort of go back into oneself, perhaps to uh, go too much into the other person, to merge or uh, be uh, lose one's own uh, sense of what's going on, just how helpful it is to bring the energy body um, into play, to open up that awareness. Really, really, um, really, really helpful. We've used this word temenos um, a number of times, and um, is one another one of those Greek words. It's um, related to the word temple or sacred space or um, the boundary that um, protects a, a space and encloses it and protects it from intrusion or, or, or whatever. And so we talk about that. Um, particularly in relational practice, the need for a temenos. As I said, when there's so much, uh, when the imaginal touches us so deeply, it needs to be respected, it needs to be protected in a way, and cared for. And part of that is setting up a space, um, or setting up the conditions that that um, care and safety is there, so that, again, the crucible uh, can be there. Um, and the crucible can, won't get so broken, easy, shattered easily, or, or whatever it is. It can actually sustain um, whatever's happening there. So when we come to practicing relationship uh, in dyas, triads, whatever it is, um, a uh, a formal uh, space and time is is really part uh, can be really helpful in setting up the um, the terminos and the sense of um, the sense of terminos the sense of a safe space a fertile space etc um, a special place so um, to share images uh, kind of more casually uh, when the per- it's not the right time for the other person or for you. Uh, they're busy, they're not completely attentive, the space is not conducive, there's other distractions, or whatever it is, or, or something else is going on um, for them, for you, etc. None of that, and you've probably noticed this already, none of that will be helpful at all. And it will feel disappointing, it will feel painful. I've not been received here, we didn't meet, something felt important and it got dropped on the floor, or whatever. So having, setting a formal a formal um, uh, time and space is actually part of the terminus, just the formality of it. 
uh, will help to create a sense of container, of crucible, of safety, etc. Posture too. Um, so to sit upright um, in a more uh, meditative posture will will really help. It will help the whole capacity of attention, of sensitivity, of receptivity, of openness, of energy, of engagement. Um, and uh, and all that is actually part of, of the temenos. All of that. Um, so, uh, yes, the attention, the quality of attention, the brightness of attention, the um, softness of attention, these are all part of the temenos. The sensitivity, um, the metta is part of the temenos, as we've stressed. Um, uh, the intention, again... If I have the fullness of intention, it really helps the terminals. If my intention or the others is something different or less than that, it also is um, is not really conducive to forming a uh, a strong and um, soul making terminals. Um, but the posture, if we go back to posture, it also gives a signal to oneself, to, to another. This is something, now we're, now we're doing something that takes all my uh, capacity, all my sensitivity, all my care and attention. Um, it gives that signal, it gives that signal uh, to oneself in all kinds of ways. So the being, both beings actually respond to that. So there's many um, uh, components to the terminals. I'm really happy to hear um, recently from a number of um, people in the Sangha that they uh, took it upon themselves, uh, saw, saw the necessity after some experiences of really exploring this um, this area, this domain of Temenos, um, amongst themselves and thinking creatively about it and, and what it needs and exploring the sense of it and when it doesn't work and uh, etc. and expanding really the, the teaching. So... Um, I'm happy, A, because it's an important area, and B, because, uh, I can't remember if I've mentioned this, you know, I, my hope very much, uh, my prayer very much, is that um, as time goes on, that uh, those who are you know, deeply interested in soul-making dharma um, absorb the teachings, digest them, and, and learn and get uh, develop their art and skill, and then they may be ready, or some people may be ready to um, begin to be creative um, in, in what they discover and what they uh, add potentially to soul-making dharma, how they can extend it, how they can make connections with other paradigms, etc. Not prematurely, before one has um, uh, said understood and digested and gained um, gain skill in, 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 in this paradigm, in these practices. But in time, um, that, that's part of what makes a really um, alive, creative tradition, that it can be added to, that there's a dialogue, um, uh, a digestion of the, the, you know, what has come before, and then a dialogue with that and a possible extension and uh, new angles, etc. So I doubly happy also secondly for that reason um, feeling uh, really heartened and encouraged and touched um, by by uh, 
those those people taking taking that on together as an exploration. Um, and one of the things they uh, came up with was was a, a new uh, concept, if you like, of the Temenos tale. T A I L. In other words, here we are, perhaps working in a diet or a small group or a, or a larger group or a three or whatever it is, and we take care of the terminus there. But what happens afterwards? Um, what happens in the hour afterwards? What happens in the week afterwards? What happens in the months afterwards? In other words, as I said, there can be so much intimacy and so much sense of being deeply touched in in a uh, in a soul making diet or sharing images uh, together that, that that touch the soul deeply. Um, that then it might be, and then two people or more people go their separate ways, and they meet again in some other situation or whatever. And just because one has been so touched, or, or that that in. Uh, that dyadic encounter and exploration made so much impact on the soul, um, it can be very easy to um, assume uh, certain things about that relationship or what one expects or what one is owed or what kind of interaction interaction should then ensue or be committed to or all kinds of possibilities. So, uh, and not to say any of that's wrong, but what is it to care then for that tail end of the Temenos. We've cared now in the formal practice what happens afterwards. Um, so that's a, also a, a, a sort of consideration and exploration that's opening as well. I mentioned in um, I mentioned in one of the talks I can't remember but um, I mentioned about uh, the need to share a conceptual framework in order for a soul-making diet to be really fertile in soul-making and not frustrating or or limited or limiting. Um, It's important that the two people share share the conceptual framework that actually supports soul-making. Uh, so part of that is sharing what we could call ontological commitments. So, uh, meaning a, um, uh, a kind of sense of what is real or what, what is to be respected, um, uh, as, uh, real, or we could put it in the negative, what's not to be dismissed. So you try soul-making with someone who just considers imagination a kind of lot of random nonsense, they don't have the same ontological commitment to um, to the sense of the imaginal and whatever ontological um, realm or position that holds with, uh, for, for soul-makers, which is not, it's just rubbish. Um, Correspondingly, if one um, is ontologically uh, views whatever comes up in imagination that has that touches the heart, etc., as real, um, uh, too real. There's also 
um, that would be an example of a kind of ontological commitment um, or part of a conceptual framework that's actually not going to be helpful for the dyad because one person will be occupying um, or has within their range certain ontological commitments, certain sense of what's real, what's to be respected, what's not important, etc. And the other, something quite different. But I would extend that to actually say, I wonder whether deep friendships actually often need, um, amongst other things, of course, often need um, shared ontological commitments. So how deep can my friendship with someone be I can be friendly and we can have a laugh and we can have all kinds of, you know, I can even hear their heartache and all, all kinds of stuff and respond and there can be kindness and uh, engagement in all kinds of ways. But how deep the sense of friendship can be if there's not enough kind of common territory in what I'm calling shared ontological commitments. People don't often say that or it's maybe it's regarded like, you know, slightly taboo or something. Um, even at Guy House, you know, some people want to make more of a, um, or establish or, or, or um, support more of a sense of community among the now many staff working at Guy House, etc. Um, and, and, you know, would assume, oh, well, you just, just give them some time together, just have uh, some practice together, or meditate together, or just put them in a room together, and they're going to start making deep connections. It's not. It, it just won't happen. It won't happen um, unless there's that. Um, unless there's a certain overlap of conceptual frame of, of ontological commitment, um, but also, and again, I don't know. Is this taboo? Is it not? Um, uh, a kind of either shared eros or passion, or at least commensurate. In other words, um, someone who has a lot of eros, who's really on fire with eros, um, is probably not going to be that close with someone who just doesn't have a lot of eros, or it's not going on for them. It's not. It's not. It's not at, uh, at the same level, and the soul, the souls won't kind of resonate with each other. So I don't know, is that politically or psychologically incorrect to say that? I'm not sure. Um, but it's important. And even more so, the whole conceptual framework, as I pointed out in another talk, kind of um, needs to be shared enough for um, soul-making relationship to really flourish. Um, and, uh, as I said, not to feel frustrating. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's a kind of important consideration in terms of, as I said, I think the other day, you know, if you want to um, oh, share this wonderful uh, new paradigm, a new practice that you're into, uh, I did this diet with someone, it was wonderful and so soul-making, so I take it to another friend, um, and I know they're heartful and they're interested and they're open, etc., and maybe open-minded or whatever it is, but there isn't that shared conceptual framework. And the whole thing, the, again, the crucible is not there. And so that can be you know, painful for both people and frustrating. Um, and I think I gave some examples. You know, Even when <coughs> uh, one person is... Uh, holding a kind of conceptual framework or concept that's, from the soul-making point of view, limited or limiting, and not even 
they're not sharing it, they're maybe not even aware that they're holding it, somehow in the in the mystery and magic of that connection between two people, it actually ends up limiting the experience for both people. In other words, what arises for the other, whose conceptual framework maybe is more open, uh, etc., is, um, uh, is, is somehow limited by the silent and even unconscious uh, limited conceptual framework um, of, or, or not shared conceptual framework of the other person. So again, this should suggest some um, caution um, in, in trying to engage in soul-making dialogues with people who don't really share the conceptual framework who haven't really understood or absorbed it to a certain extent at least. Um, okay, so let's <clears throat> just just really very briefly outline some of the <clears throat> avenues or ways of practicing, some of the possible avenues, possible ways of practicing, some of them from uh, uh, what, what this... form uh, can offer or allow. Uh, and with that, some yeah things to bear in mind, consider and look out for, etc. Um, so if, if you're practicing in a diet or a triad or whatever, um, it's probably a good idea if you're at home um, to have some little gap or separation um, of that practice um, period from other activities. I mean, it's kind of natural to do that if there is a sense, if there's some sense of the sanctity of it, of that space, of that uh, um, form, of that temenos. And then... um, Sitting down together, uh, it may, of course you could stand up and you could be moving, so, um, you know, there's so many possibilities here, but let's, let's just say, um, if you, if you sit down together, it may or may not need some, um, sort of settling time, meditating in silence. Don't assume that it does. So find out, you know, see or check, see what you need uh, at the time. Sometimes just being opposite um, each other in a formal ritual space uh, will already um, support and uh, some some kind of gathering and energization, coalescing of the attention of the being. Um, some quieting, some heightening of sensitive awareness. I mean, it might be that, that for some people or in some situations or sometimes that actually it doesn't do that, that coming into a formal space with the anticipation of doing this kind of practice actually brings up a, excuse me, a mild panic um, or self-consciousness, or inadequacy, or some other kind of agitation. Of, of course, that's possible. Um, but generally speaking, you'll probably find that just being together, opposite, in that space, uh, brings a kind of gathering. If it doesn't, then what's needed? 
either a little quiet time together, meditating, being with what's going on, being with the energy body, the emotions, or the breath, or metta, um, or bringing that difficulty um, that one's experiencing right into the diet when you start practicing. And that's what's present. Let's practice with that and see, can it be, uh, can soul be made from that? What does it need? Maybe it doesn't need soul making. Maybe it needs some other kind of um, uh, exploration or attention or response. <clears throat> and then uh, we mentioned the temenos and how important that is. And again, if you listen back to those recordings that we did from... Um, two, three, four retreats, I can't remember. Um, mostly we call them temenos exercises, I think. Um, you'll hear that we have a stage of, of metta there. And uh, I would say it's it's really, this is really quite important. Uh, and if you listen again, you'll notice there's the giving of metta and the consciousness of receiving. So to consciously um, feel oneself as an object of metta, as being permeated uh, by metta from the other or others, uh, as being um, wished well, as much as giving. So both um, uh, the necessity of having access to and and registering both those directions of metta, the giving and receiving. Um, and then and then the metta can kind of go to this kind of bedrock or, or background sort of basis of the whole exploration. So it never really goes away, but one isn't necessarily consciously, um, formally practicing. One can, practicing the metta, uh, one can rely on it as an intention, rely on the knowledge that the field is pervaded by that, that that is the intention, uh, uh, that it is part of the intention of both parties. So only if you're really sure that uh, it's there as a bedrock and it uh, is kind of unshakable, um, both your sense of receiving it and your giving it, um, only if you're really sure um, would I recommend skipping that step of of just lingering with the meta and establishing that? Um, so dependent on all kinds of factors, you, you can skip it, but be sure. Um, or you know, it's a lovely thing to do. It's it's uh, it certainly can't hurt to, to start that way and include that. And as I said, that's part of the temenos and part of uh, establishing and caring for the temenos and for each other, obviously. So on those uh, recordings that we did previously in the Temenos exercises, you know, as, as I said, they're kind of like scales, practicing scales, and we sort of somewhat artificially divided it into three levels, um, the energy body, the emotion, and then perhaps sharing something that was that felt soulful, um, and separated those out in time, and people took turns, etc. Et so that remains, I think, a really... Uh, really useful exercise um, to do, to gain the facility, the skill, the fluidity, the familiarity with all that. 
uh, and those those kind of uh, dimensions of of practice and of being. Um, in time, you then might begin to include um, uh, a, a tracking and a voicing of those three levels or elements of being, the energy body, the experience. Remember, energy body also includes imaginal body now, and that all oh, we've expanded the sense of what that means. Um, the emotional level, second, and then the uh, level of um, soul or image, um, etc. And so one can begin to, rather than separating them out, include them in real time, in a kind of fluid real time, tracking and voicing and taking your time to feel. You don't have to be speaking or communicating all the time. Um, so you can track and then voice. Um, and again, uh, so we, we, we emphasize the voice and verbal communication, but it could be voicing. Um, you might sing or sound, or you might gesture, or you might move or dance. I think the you know, obviously the voicing, the verbalizing will be most common for most people, but there's all kinds of possibilities here. What matters is it soul-making. Um, so, see. Um, so one can begin to, to include all that in a more kind of fluid, real-time uh, tracking and um, include with that um, a, a tracking of and, and voicing of how the... Um, uh, either the perception or the um, thoughts about the uh, perception of or thoughts about the other's expression, um, their presence, their attention, their gaze, um, their energy, um, etc. How that's uh, affecting right now um, my energy body, my emotion, the emotions that arise, what's happening in the heart, um, and the uh, imaginal sense or soul, sensing with soul. So that one's uh, uh, potentially including um, then the image of this moment, of the other, of the sharing being seen, heard. So this very being seen, can, or being heard and being witnessed can become image. So that would be a kind of another level or domain of possibility of kind of another avenue, um, just extending it a little bit, uh, the, the exercise. Um, and this, how how am I being affected? That latter part of, of that uh, avenue and level, um, you know, uh, sometimes it doesn't make much difference. Um, I share something and it's just how it is um, or I share something it wasn't particularly soulful and then when I share it in a diet or try it or whatever um, it's, it's the same um, there's not much um, impact uh, of that situation on the sense of soul making or energy body or whatever but sometimes the sense of how we are being listened to and looked at, um, including the imaginal sense of it, of uh, and of who is listening, looking. Remember some recent retreats we talk about being witnessed by the angel. So actually having a sense of the other as 
angel as daemon as having their roots uh, so to speak in the divine or whatever it is um, one can deliberately instigate or ignite that perception of the other of who is listening and looking at me or it might just arise um, by itself all kinds of other possibilities and in in the sense uh, in in the imaginal sense of uh, who is listening or looking um, there may be a, a much greater sense of soul-making of an image that originally didn't feel so soul-making. It felt a little, little bit. Um, but the uh, effect of, of the, um, the potency of that situation and the sensitivity of that situation makes that, that image almost in uh, retrospect or as it's resuscitated there and re-communicated, um, it, make, it allows much more soul-making with the same image. Conversely, of course, um, we might be sharing something, an emotion, an image, something that's in the energy body, and the partner or uh, whoever it is in the diet, um, y- you know, uh, someone was sharing, and, and they looked away. They told me, and I don't know why they looked away, but they just, I was sharing uh, a, a, an emotion, and they looked away and, and sort of stared into space for a few seconds, and that just threw me. Um, so I felt disconnected, and I stopped sharing the emotion. I was halfway through, and I just, I just stopped. Um, but here, it's, it's also possible then, in the kind of flow and give and take, of course, um, to just, just okay, recognize what's happening, and okay, do I want to voice that, um, that effect, that uh, uh, the effect on me, or when you just looked away like that? I don't have to blame or be aggressive I'm just saying oh, oh I notice I'm a bit thrown here um, by that and it's possible that the uh, the other person uh, just witnesses that and tracks their response in silence to what you're sharing about that impact of whatever it is them looking away etc um, Anyway, if they don't say anything, if they're just uh, taking it in in silence, there's a communication through the eyes and and through the energy body. Or it might be that they um, uh, respond either there and then, or if you're taking turns, a more formal sort of now my turn, now your turn, and then in, in, in their time or their turn. And that response that they give you, um, of course, is going to have an effect, um, an effect on the sense of connection and what is shaped, what can arise, what can come into the field. So the whole thing can become much more fluid and responsive um, at times. Uh, But but the point here really is to to begin to notice and include and express at this kind of stage of exercise, if you like, the effect of of how I'm my the effect of the sense of how I'm being looked at or listened to. And sometimes that's very gross, and sometimes it's extremely subtle. And if you're really um, um, sensitive, sometimes you, you can feel um, someone just you know blinks or or, or uh, does the slightest. A movement of their eyes, not even away in distraction or anything like that. And one can actually feel one's energy body 
um, <coughs> uh, impacted by that, affected by that, um, it's quite possible. So there's there's a whole range here of what can be noticed and what can be then shared and articulated as part of the exploration of the uh, of that crucible and and the potentiality and sensitivity of the diet or triad or whatever it is. So after that sort of three-tiered exercise, after you've maybe got used to that, and I think some people are very used to it by now, um, some much less so, so you'll have to see what you where you're at and what you need, um, then you can include the experience of um, uh, this now, this sharing now, and this being seen, being heard by you right now um, uh, in real time. Um, so the whole thing gets a little more fluid and inclusive. Another kind of um, avenue or level of possibility here, they're not completely separate. You'll 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 realise this very uh, quickly. That it's just hard to actually really co- uh, cleanly uh, separate these different avenues and levels. But another possibility is to deliberately take the other as uh, as an, uh, an imaginal focus. That is, um, uh, to sense them with soul. And to, and to voice that, um, again, voice is a euphemism for a much larger range of communication expression that may include movement, gesture, uh, uh, verbal or no, non-verbal vocalization, all kinds of things. Um, so, and then, and then the person responds if necessary. Maybe they feel, hold on, this is a bit something or other. Um, in a way, that's a kind of slightly contrived level, and maybe a little awkward with one person just, um, just telling the other about uh, how they sense the other with soul. Um, but but see see what works. Um, it might be you take it in turns or whatever. I would also um, recommend, um, then if you're doing that, to again, self-other world, to include uh, not just your sense of the other, sensing them with soul, but also... Take in the space that you're in, the environment that you're in, if you're inside the room, if the room that you're in, if you're outside, you know, wherever you are, what's the environment? And let, or at least allow the possibility of the sensing the soul uh, uh, to, to spread to the world. So, other, self, and, and world uh, can be sensed with soul. Uh, and that's spreading to the world Sometimes we've called it cosmopoesis when it starts from an imaginal sense uh, of another. Um, but that's uh, a just part of the, you know, part of the soul making process. Um, B, uh, as we've pointed out, probably very helpful at times for the whole um, balance of the process and. And see, there'll be a lot to learn in that um, triple object, if you like, self, other world, uh, for sensing the soul. Um, 
And then again, another another level or avenue of possibility yeah, would be to um, open uh, open to um, to responses, um, optional responses um, from from the other, um, from either you take it in turns and then the person responds after you've shared your or a certain time or whatever, or just in the natural back and forth. Um, so uh, non-silent witnesses, they're responding there, um, especially if it's more in the, in the fluid back and forth and not so formalized, separate, now my turn, now your turn. It's less of a witness. It's just a, 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 a partner or, or whatever in the dyad. Um, and what are they responding in this, in this level? They would be responding... Um, what arises for them in in the energy body, in the emotion, um, in the imaginal sense, in the sensing with soul? Okay, so what they're not doing um, at this level is um, critiquing what you've just shared, uh, or, or your perception, or giving guidance, or, or feedback. That may have a place at a later stage, uh, in other words, you can decide, and I think you should formally decide if you're going to do that thing. But I would, I would say, ho- hold off f- from that for a while, because obviously it brings all kinds of other complications, potential complications, in uh, to the dyad, and would need to kind of or ask even more care and sensitivity and uh, intuitive awareness. But as I said, the uh, partner witness, uh, let's call it partner, uh, voices their their response, their experience, either in their kind of allotted time or turn, or in just their open, natural back and forth and flow of things. So what arises in, in listening, in witnessing, in looking, in, 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 in receiving the other. Um, I guess I should say, point out, um, that you know, sometimes you'll notice that you do, uh, or your partner does intuit or know things um, about what's going on with you. In, in, in other words, they just they can uh, uh, get a sense themselves of your energy body experience or your emotional experience or, or something else. Um, but if you're sharing at this point, to really be careful with the assumptions of being right there. I think it's really important to um, always to respect the other's autonomy and their experience and their sense of their experience. And um, if there's a place for, you know, privacy of boundaries here also. So, yes, this that kind of intuitive sense, empathic sense, of course, can go on between human beings. And the range of that is a lot a lot larger than just the uh, usual meaning of what we um, uh, term empathy in terms of I can see that you're sad or I can see that you're happy or whatever it is. Um, and resonating with that, the range is larger than that. But still, it's really important to... Um, uh, to, to respect, uh, as I said, um, uh, the other and to tread carefully with that kind of thing. If you're going to share it, you can check it out, you can say it lightly, uh, you can, I'm wondering if, etc. 
And it's also possible, um, and I've mentioned, uh, I think in this series of talks, you know, that, that, that there can be a real sense of entering into and sharing an, uh, an image with someone else. Um, sharing a sensing with soul of the environment you're in, of each other, of some, uh, some other intrapsychic image. One of you might have voiced that image um, first, and then both of you can enter it sometimes. And sometimes not. So, you know, don't put pressure on these kinds of things to happen at all. Sometimes just a person's telling you an image, and, and it's impacting you, even though it's not uh, a kind of an image for you yet. But there are certainly um, those those possibilities. Um, so with these, as I said, these avenues or levels, or whatever we want to call them, um, t- take your time, find the right pitch for you, and that might vary from day to day, or you might just be curious about what happens when we limit it this way, what happens when we limit it that way. Stravinsky, the composer I mentioned uh, the other night, um, he used to say, um, uh, the most terrifying thing is an empty sheet of paper, a blank sheet of paper. Once I've given myself certain constraints um, in the creative process or what, I'm, what I can do in this composition, I've just created this arbitrary set of constraints and limits to the creative process, then then I start discovering and creating a lot. So similarly with, with these kinds of exercises, you might think, oh, I just want to jump to the the, the sort of, um, you know, the super advanced level where fireworks are going off and everything's on the table, etc. like that. But you may well uh, create, discover much more, much more fertile um, as well in, 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 in going, you know, in checking out the earlier so-called earlier stages or simpler stages of these these kinds of practices, and like I said, that that they will lay the ground for really um, fecund and rich and wide uh, opening out um, of experiences and insights and uh, sensings with soul um, as you go on in the whole practice, not just in diets but also uh, on your own. So don't get too hung up on a hierarchy and needing to get to oh, the maximum thing or whatever. Um, as I said, all this asks a lot um, and takes time to develop uh, the, the kind of sensitivities and skills and uh, the whole art of it. There's a lot involved there. Um, just to mention a few of the some other possibilities, you know, it's also um, the case that you can deliberately together decide on a theme that you want to explore. So the the process might be the same uh, in terms of it involves the energy body, the emotion, the sensing with soul, the sensitivity uh, to each other and one's own experience, etc. But together you're somehow exploring a theme. And that theme could be whatever you want it to be. Um, so rather than just an open sitting together, let's see what happens. Um, it might be uh, that you're exploring, I mean, it might be an image. You're deliberately bringing an image um, that you want to open out and explore more. It might be a particular kind of cosmopoesis that you've perhaps glimpsed or sensed is possible. It might be 
a certain kind of dukkha and that you want to bring into the field for potential soul making, potential soul making. Um, it might be the um, temenos as theme. So a couple of people were telling me as they were exploring this whole area of temenos in a group um, in an ongoing way and this whole temenos tale that I mentioned, that actually it's possible to sit down in a diet and take the, the, the idea and the sense of temenos right now between us or around us um, and take that as a theme and uh, so much how, how lovely and fruitful that was um, so that could be a theme it could be one of the elements of the imaginal one of the nodes that you particularly want to explore it could be this whole business about self other world and uh, how that uh, how they ignite each other what the tendencies are um, it could be something like the nature of matter, um, uh, which I think is a, a you know, really profound and important um, investigation, uh, especially these days, uh, where we live dominated by a um, reductionist scientific materialist view of matter, wonderful as that is in terms of what it has given us, but also that has uh, massive consequences on how we live, how we treat the earth, how we treat other species, etc. Um, it could be uh, that you deliberately enter an image together. It could be uh, that one person brings an image and just wants to share it and see what happens. It could be that you deliberately um, enter into an image of each other. Uh, so there's, there's all, all kinds of possibilities here. Um, in in the practice, you will notice many of the same kind of uh, larger considerations about navigation and, and responsiveness that one has in in individual practice and in solo practice. So sometimes there can be, um, uh, you know, the concertina opens. Um, that that node, that element, um, especially when there's a lot of eros, and again, not necessarily sexual eros, but that the the the, uh, the degree of eros and the, the the energy and the force of the eros, um, it's almost like it presents <coughs> it presents lots of imaginal possibilities all at once as possibilities, um, lots of sensings with soul as possibilities at once. And, and then the question is, well, which do we choose? How do we choose? Why are we choosing this one over that one? Um, so that's, you know, that becomes quite interesting. The whole issue of pacing. Again, do we, where, where should we linger? Where should we slow down? Um, Etc. The, as I've mentioned so many times now, that, you know, the importance of the energy body and how you will notice certainly... Um, um, in individual practice, but sometimes even more in in working with others in a diatribe, whatever it is, um, quartet. What's that? Um, uh, so, so the energy body awareness shrinks, or I'm only kind of aware of part of my body, and the and the I'm not really inhabiting, filling out the whole energy body. So just again and again to check on that, to expand it, to allow it to expand, to include whatever um, areas of that space are not being included at that point. 
and so helpful as part of the uh, you know ongoing sensitivity and responsiveness and care for the for the practice in the moment and there are so many um, aspects of experience just as in individual practice so many aspects um, uh, of 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 a kind of complex experience that's arising at any moment. And in a way you can focus on the totality, um, the whole gestalt, or you can focus on any one of those or two of those and kind of explore, attune to this or that particular aspect of, of the complex experience that's happening in, in the diet or triad or whatever it is, and decide to explore that. And, um, you know... It's life, things are impermanent, so uh, the attunement uh, between two people, or even one person between themselves, comes and goes. Um, and, you know, that's okay. That's just, as I said, life, things are impermanent, so sometimes it feels like, oh, you're super attuned to each other. Sometimes one person will feel like, oh, this person is not quite either attuned to me in terms of their sensitivity and their attention, or we're just kind of pulling in slightly different directions of what we're interested in right now, and so that affects the attention. All of this is normal and okay. Um, maybe it's like, oh, hold on, let's just check something here. And and sometimes it's like just recognizing that, and it's okay, it will, it will come back into attunement, alignment, uh, sensitivity will come back, um, and you can just wait, wait for it to come back. Um, but to expect that, of course, um, and of course, sometimes you know, if you if you do a lot of this kind of practice, you'll notice that um, sometimes there's a you know exquisite and profound and profoundly touching sense of connection and soul making igniting, etc. And other times less so. And you know, that's again, it's just like. Um, practicing on your own, so to to be a little spacious and equanimous around that. Yes, we um, take care as best we can of the conditions and the art of it, and there's an element of grace here, and it's not completely in our control. So that's important too. I want to pick up on. Um, and what I mentioned about uh, what I'm calling the sensitivity of the dyad, um, and just recognizing, yes, how, yeah, I think that's the best word, how sensitive that whole space is and that whole crucible is, so that um, little, little things, little gestures, little um, moments or movements of mind or energy or, or intention, etc., can really affect um, quite, sometimes quite dramatically, um, the, the sense of what's unfolding. So remember the other day I, uh, I shared the, about the uh, yogi who, who came to interview with the image of a, a really big woman and she was resting her head uh, and lying and resting her head in in the lap of this big goddess woman, um, and then it became sexual, etc. And there were there were other things that I pointed out. Then, actually, when she came in that time, it wasn't the first time that she'd shared that image uh, with me. Um, but 
when it first came up, um, it was a very brief image that came up as she was getting ready for bed. So it wasn't even in formal practice. She was on retreat, getting ready for bed, and this image just came up um, very, very briefly. Then she did uh, a dyad practice with um, with partner, and um, and she shared that image, um, and quite unexpectedly to her, tears came as she shared it, when she was sharing this image. Um, it moved her at a whole other level. Whereas when it had come up bef- the first time and just briefly going to bed, it just sort of it made an impact, but there wasn't, there wasn't that level of um, emotional and, and soul response. So again, the, the power um, of the... Uh, soul-making in relationship where there's temenos. Something happens um, that we almost... uh, Some alchemy happens to an image that it's possible for the soul-making associated with that image and even how imaginal it is and all that to to go to another level by virtue of the crucible of the diet, by virtue of the temenos, by virtue of the... um, the, the, the space we're in and how we're being attended to, etc., and all that. Or, or even the, the, the soul sense of the diet itself. All of that. Again, this thing ignites that thing. Um, and sometimes this can be, as I said, quite unexpected. Um, of course, uh, it's sensitive, as I pointed out before, in, in uh, both for better and for worse, so to speak. Um, or in ways that are um, helpful to uh, t- to the soul making, and in ways that kind of can can end up shutting down the soul making. So someone shared with me that they were um, remembering an old relationship, a past relationship uh, with a lover, and and there was still some pain and grief and um, around that relationship. It hadn't completely been resolved or let go of um, in in them. And then they worked with it imaginally uh, and feeling the pain, going holding that in the, in the crucible of one's being, with the energy body, with the emotions, etc. And it, it did uh, become image, or an image came in relation to that. It's not important what the image is, so I actually won't share it, although it's actually quite interesting. But um, it was a sort of baffling image to her, and even more baffling was um, why it seemed to to uh, help, and exactly what way it was relevant to the pain or meaningful, um, and uh, how it was healing. So, as I said, it, it's interesting, but I don't have time to go into it right now. So, um, the point I want to make right now is: so there was this these memories. The, the, the leftover pain from actually quite a while ago, um, it became an image that um, puzzlingly was healing and touching the soul and um, very pertinent. And then then she was doing uh, a, a dyad, soul-making dyad, with her current um, partner, her current uh, lover, and... Um, 
and decided to share that image, um, the, the, the healing image with respect to the old uh, lover. And, uh, but in sharing it, unlike the example I gave before, where um, something didn't feel that soul-making, then, then uh, one shared it and, and it suddenly just was soul-making and touching a whole other level. This fell flat, shared the image which did feel um, meaningful and profound and healing and touching um, when I worked on my own. But now in sharing it, it just goes flat. So why? What's going on here? Um, well, um, perhaps understandably, there might be um, some fear of uh, her current partner's re- reaction. Um, why, why are you thinking about that? Or why are you thinking about him? Or whatever it is. And this fear um, perhaps led, led to her leaving bits out of the sharing. So because of the subtle fear, she didn't share fully, uh, etc. And the whole thing um, wasn't really allow, allowed or supported to become fully imaginal. Um, so, now that could have been obviously done differently, perhaps, um, in, in various ways, but, but the point I really want to make is just about the sensitivity of this space. Like, again, on our own, in a large group, in small groups, in dyads, you, you, you probably will have seen this now. And like I've pointed out several times, your soul making just doesn't doesn't just happen by itself. We have to really uh, care for the conditions, the terminos, the um, all the different aspects that allow it to happen. And sometimes that is not just a default of the being. We have all there are all kinds of other things that can happen, and just um, just pull a plug out of the crucible, um, or just shatter it a, a little bit, or leave the lid off, or what you know, whatever uh, analogy we want to use. Um, it's really uh, soul making is a really very sensitive um, business, and the dyad or group soul making is also extremely sensitive. In the way as I said, things catch from one person to the other. Um, very important to be aware of, to take care of, um, and to be interested in, actually, uh, I would say. Um, I share, but it's worth, it's worth repeating this again um, on the same theme. So I was working in a dyad, and um, the person I was working with um, was describing her experience, and it was, um, at that point, it was really um, almost all about her energy body experience. Um, and I, I found myself at that time very sensitive to her gestures and her words and her energy, and I could feel the concertina um, it was opening for me, the, the sort of spread of potential images, images, um, potential images waiting in the wings, their, their beginnings there. But despite that concertina and the sort of potential there and the... Um, yeah, relative fecundity of that. Um, nothing was really igniting to become imaginal fully, and something felt slightly blocked somehow. Um, despite my partner in the dyad having um, quite strong energy openings, which she was very in touch with and um, very mindful of, and describing to me quite articulately, etc. 
And at a certain point I asked her, is it um, energy perception or is it um, is the energy perception an image? Are you perceiving the energy imaginally? And as I said when I shared this the first time, she, uh, she got it immediately. And then it, it shifted to it's an image of, of her energy. And immediately I felt my experience open up uh, to, to, to image right then, the imaginal um, sense of what was happening and her and myself. And, and I just opened up from that shift. So two points here. One is, uh, again, the significance and the power of the option of uh, sensing the energy body or the energy field imaginally, sensing it with soul rather than with the kind of um, usually uh, not quite fully conscious um, implicit reification that we have when we're relating to energy and our perception of energy. But more importantly right now, just how um, how sensitive the diet is and and the the, the uh, fact of um, the subtle dependent arising of experience in the diet so my experience depended on a subtle shift in how she viewed her experience she just a just a subtle change from rarefied to imaginal in terms of her experience and my experience changed. There's some, again, there's some kind of um, magic connection that can be there um, in, in these kinds of processes uh, that make it very, very sensitive. Um, I'll share something else. I was working uh, also with someone and um, we were in a in a diet practice, in a formal diet practice, and I can't remember exactly how it came up, but she um, she was felt stuck, and she also felt willfully stuck. So she something in her wanted to be uh, stuck um, in some way, and I can't even remember exactly how or how it arose, etc. Um, so I I actually felt quite spacious, despite the fact that she felt stuck, I felt quite spacious in that moment, and I sort of um, metaphorically was tickling her Um, I can't remember exactly how, but being a little light and humorous and sort of uh, uh, like that Um, and in the the hope and the uh, attempt that it would help Um, but uh, she felt that um, my tickling, so to speak, my tickling her, dissolved her will. Now she was willfully stuck. My tickling dissolved her, and that touched an even deeper pain. So it was a pattern reminiscent from her childhood with her siblings, um, her older siblings. Um, different thing with her parents, but with her siblings. Um, uh, there was a particular way they would uh, ridicule and she felt humiliate um, her when uh, when she was hurt and she wanted to kind of gather her will like that. So when she wanted to gather her autonomy or her 
in her will, um, when she was hurt or crying, she would be ridiculed and humiliated. And this this really was quite a deep pain that was still um, echoing um, substantially years later. So we were exploring that and talking about that um, in in a way, and it was good and helpful and honest and open and um, but it wasn't imaginal. Uh, and then suddenly, I I was able to see her and our relationship imaginally. So again, it's really to get a sense, I hope you can get a sense over time as you practice more and more of what that territory is of the imaginal and how it feels, its particular flavors and qualities. That's partly why we elucidated the 28 elements. But it does feel quite different. You can be talking about the same thing, talking, paying attention to the same dukkha, even using the imagination in, in, in working with that dukkha or whatever, or something else. But it's not imaginal. Anyway, at that point, suddenly I was able to see her and also our relationship as imaginal. And um, and I shared that I um, sense myself imaginally as mystical husband. So we've touched on this before, um, this particular dyad, and um, and that from from there, from that imaginal sense of her being her mystical husband, um, I I I said I will protect you. I won't ridicule or humiliate you. I won't tickle. I won't tickle her. Um, but <laughs> then it opened up for her, and that that changed something for her. Um, the, uh, the the whole kind of stuck grip dissolved, and she felt um, empowered and 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 much better. So what's going on here? Again, the sensitivity of the diet. One person. Um, uh, moves into the imaginal, takes a quantum, there is a quantum leap into the imaginal, and and uh, senses it, maybe shares it, in this case I did share it, that, that, that particular sensing with soul, and it opens her up and heals something in her. In this case, she caught the soul sense from me. One person catches the soul sense from another, is ignited. Um, uh, uh, by by the others, um, we could view it that way. It might also be another way to see it is just that um, that image uh, and the imaginal is kind of so to speak in the field, and uh, one person is just articulating it or experiencing it, allowing uh, w- which allows the whole field to make a quantum jump. In other words, it's there, kind of the field is pregnant with it, and it just requires one or both people, to, to be aware. But it's there in, in potentia, so to speak. So this is really interesting as well, this way that um, a, a, a sudden shift into imaginal perception can then affect the whole field. And particularly interesting here is the fact that it, af- it affected in a healing way uh, what was happening with the other person. So one person's imaginal perception in relation to another heals what what was uh, conceived and, and of and felt uh, to be a, a real non-imaginal dukkha. 
Um, this, to me, this is really interesting. Um, and I would venture to go a little bit further and say that sometimes when that kind of thing happens, um, it heals more than, let's say in this instance, an actual guarantee of, quote, real protection. If I had just said to her, um, as a human being, I, you know, as a conventionally conceived human being, I will protect you, or um, I won't let that happen, or whatever, I don't know whether it would have had the same effect. And that's curious, again, because we usually, the normal view would conceive of the imaginal as not being real. Of course you want real protection. Here's a, in, in a way, non-real, imaginal protection, yet it has more power. It has more healing, penetrative um, power to the being that feels uh, in need of protection, vulnerable, unsafe, etc. And very probably it would also be that kind of thing um, happening imaginally in the dyad like that, probably uh, more uh, healing than, say, just her... um, mindfully, actively, mindfully imagining someone protecting her or someone protecting her in the past and just trying to use the imagination, but it's not really imaginal. Um, Similar possibilities, you know, with all kinds of realm in terms of realms of um, human need and pain and experience. So someone might need um, to feel respected or appreciated. And again, it might be that the when that comes from an imaginal level, it actually might have wield a power uh, and have an effect that is not available from more conventionally conceived um, human communication or relationship. So I, f- I find that very interesting and... Um, is partly a point about, this, again, the sensitivity of the dyad, how things can shift very quickly when uh, one person's experience flips into the imaginal or opens up to the imaginal, um, but also just what is going on in terms of, uh, again, Dukkha and image and Dukkha and the imaginal here. And, you know, what what exactly is the relationship between... Um, experiencing the need to experience the dukkha as real and linger there and feel that pain and the opening up of the imaginal around and in relationship to that dukkha. And again, there may be different orderings. Sometimes we've talked about this with the dukkha and soul making. You really need to really need to be with the dukkha and experiencing it and, and take it as real and all that and feel it. Um, and then from that ground, from that soil, from that opening, then an image can come. And sometimes the other way around. The, the, the introduction or the reception, uh, the birth, the opening to an image um, actually does something that allows the dukkha to, um, to, to even to be experienced more and, and, to, and to heal, etc. Is it that different dukkha different situations need different approaches to different people have particular preferences there uh, in terms of the order that they go in I don't know um, 
uh, but the same choices, questions, possibilities as in um, solo practice with dukkha and the imaginal um, uh, arise in the context of the dyad. And the same um, kind of sensitivity, care, openness and curiosity in navigating all that uh, is, is required in a dyad. Um, and I mentioned at the beginning, and possibly you can begin to hear as I'm, um, as I'm, as I'm sharing some of this, you know, just how much this kind of practice uh, demands of us uh, good relational skills, good skills in relationship. Um, so, on the last retreat, I can't remember if it was a Q&A or what, and I was Someone asked me about diet practice, and one of the things I said in response to the question um, at the time was, you know, it's really important that uh, you have the a kind of ability and the willingness to kiss and make up, I think I said. In other words, of course people butt into each other, of course there's misunderstandings, of course there's conflicts of interest, of course there's something said that wasn't so sensitive that then causes a pain and that spins off and carries a residue and uh, makes an impact and there's closing and there's, of course all that happens in human relationship. And as I said, a dyad, working in, in this kind of very um, very intimate, very open, very sensitive and, and deep way with another person, it's, it's a very sensitive field. So, yes, expect that. Expect there's going to be things that happen that need attention and need a lot of skill in kind of repairing and taking care of. Um, so I, I made that uh, point as one, one of the points I was making in response to this question about dyad practice on the retreat. And um, Yasmin picked it up in the closing circle, I thought, um, uh, quite, quite rightly, and I'm glad she said it, because... Um, to kiss and make up sounds kind of um, superficial and flippant. It wasn't actually how I meant it, um, but uh, uh, it sounds uh, something akin to kind of brushing brushing the difficulty under the rug. Kiss and make up, get on with it. Um, that's not quite what I meant, but I'm really glad that Yasmin said that. Um, what I really mean is... The, as I said, the willingness, the ability, the care, the carefulness, the um, precision, the patience, um, the humility, the openness, uh, the flexibility, the love, um, all, all that, the equanimity, all that is necessary, and just the, the sheer hard work sometimes of um, uh, addressing difficulties that come up um, either in a dyad between two people, one person in the dyad, or in a group, etc. Are you able to do that? Do you have those range of skills? They're not, um, they're not that common, actually. They're certainly not that commonly exercised in our world. Um, there's not a lot of training about that, um, not even in the Dharma. You know, so... Uh, but to be able to do that, I think, is, um, I would say, necessary to this kind of work. So again, if we go back and talk about prerequisites and that kind of thing, um, t- to really 
uh, think, oh, do I need to develop that? If I want to, well, I kind of like the sound of that practice, or I've had some, um, uh, you know, uh, times where I've practiced dyads or triads or whatever, and it's felt really beautiful, I want to pursue it. Okay, but check, check, you know, your uh, relational skills. And maybe they need... Uh, some some work, some exploration, some cultivation. Maybe that can go on in parallel. Um, maybe you take a little time and just develop that. And uh, and sometimes this needs to happen in the moment, in the fluidity of the back and forth of a diet, of the give and take of a diet in real time. Sometimes something happens and people separate, and then three days later they say, "Well, oh, hold on, I really need to tell you something happened the other day, and I just feel." really shut down or whatever and then you talk about it after the time after you know after it happened um, so that's really important but also in the moment in the fluidity of uh, of of the moment so relational skills really really important um, indispensable one will also um, notice in practicing um, in dyads and triads and larger groups uh, with the soul making, you're going to notice all kinds of uh, relational patterns. Like you, you, you'll notice your particular poises, stances, um, contortions, uh, inclinations, etc. Um, in relationship, will will come up and be hopefully begin to be um, made conscious. In, in the diet. So there's, there's all kinds of possibilities here uh, um, you know, of what you might notice. It might be um, the patterns of the uh, way your energy is, or the energy body. Like there might be a certain contraction of the energy body or a certain kind of um, brash throwing it out or domination or um, being dominated. In, in ways that may be fine in in some respects in soul making even um, but maybe in other uh, ways they manifest not so fine or it's a, it's a kind of um, a habit it's unconscious it's not desired and it's not very soul making maybe that you know you start to notice a one person I or the other person is is doing most of the talking and I say oh that's a kind of pattern um, or um, it might be even, uh, of course, there's patterns of the balance of attention. We talked about that. It might be um, pattern of, for example, uh, being um, more interested in one's own experience than the other, um, or, or vice versa or not to notice the, the environment. It might be um, something that's quite subtle to put into words, not quite the balance of attention, but the, uh, it might be that the, the gaze tends to be um, more penetrating of the other, or, and, and one person might have the pattern to be more penetrated, so to speak. I don't necess- necessarily mean sexually, but there is that as well. Um, but... Uh, it's more the intensity and intentness of the pattern of gazing. So things like that um, might be noticed. Um, all kinds of possibilities. I'm, I'm, 
I'm listing just a few general, uh, general kind of uh, areas that one might notice patterns in. Um, what gets really interesting is uh, seeing the uh, and working with the subtleties of each individual and their and their patterns um, in terms of energy, emotion, um, psychology, relational patterns brought into the dyad, etc. Um, but we will we will notice all that. Sometimes these patterns will just change by themselves in the context of doing dyad practice. Um, in other words, because there's the, the natural expansion of the soul-making dynamic, of the eros dynamic, with all the change in perception and perception of self and sense of self and sensing the soul and sensing of other, sensing of relationship, all that naturally expands and can at times break break certain structures and the breaking of the vessels and all that. Um, so sometimes these things just change by themselves um, by virtue of the kind of um, usually gradual alchemy that's happening in, in that particular crucible. And, or, um, it's also really uh, fine and available to notice certain, uh, whatever patterns you notice about your relational patterns that are coming up in the diet, and decide deliberately to experiment with doing it differently. Um, so, you know, to let oneself be, um, for instance, yeah, more the penetrated one, so to speak, more the gazed upon one, more uh, aware of oneself as object, as erotic imaginal object for the other, rather than aware of one's erotic imaginal gaze and attention penetrating the other, so to speak. And one decides to do it differently, or it might just change by itself. Deciding deliberately to experiment with changing something, you know, not um, changing this forever, but just let's try doing it differently now, deliberately. Again, that could be a theme. Remember, that's not ego. Just because you decided deliberately to experiment with something and do something or make a change in practice right now, Um, just as in imaginal practice, I decide to introduce um, something into the image or change the image or bring this image into relationship with that image or whatever it is or bring this image into relationship with a certain dukkha, uh, or, or whatever. Just because I decide to do that, it doesn't make it ego and, and thus not soul somehow. Um, uh, the question, as always, is, is it soul-making? Does it feel soul-making? Not, did I make this happen, or did it happen by itself? It could be either. It's irrelevant. What, what matters, what's relevant is, does this feel soul-making right now? Um, in in whatever is happening, whatever direction one is kind of uh, exploring, whatever thread one is following there. Now in relation to all this, relational patterns, relational skills, the sensitivity of the dyad, etc., I want to just touch briefly on what we might call the different kinds of... Um, different levels and directions of fabrication uh, that can happen in a dyad, um, specifically of self and other, uh, but really um, anything. But yeah, specifically self and other, the different levels and kinds of fabrication of self and other in the dyad. So um, 
<clears throat> what do I mean by that? Uh, let's let's delineate a few options, um, a few possibilities rather. So in, in soul making dire practice, let's say we we can welcome, we can expect and be interested in, and um, become familiar with and skilled uh, with, um, and and get clear about whole ranges of the sense senses of self, um, or, and other. Uh, so we could divide that into, let's say, four right now. One is um, what we might call the normal self-sense, the conventional human self-sense. Two, um, uh, normally conceived, conventionally conceived uh, human selves in relationship, in conversation. So even though I'm sitting down to do a soul-making dyad, that level of perception, that level and and um, type of fabrication, and just in other words, just the usual, normal, um, uh, uh, most popular uh, level of fabrication, it's just to fabricate the usual conventional sense of self and other. That level is important and, and never, just even though because I, my intention is to do a soul-making diet, that doesn't leave that out as a possibility. It doesn't shut the door on that possibility. And often, um, this this particular, this kind of conventional self-sense, if you like, is um, is a really important stance when there's difficulty or relational stuff to talk through together or negotiate. So I'm sitting in a soul-making diet, and it might be that actually for our whole time, or some portion of the time, we're actually just talking as two human beings to each other on that level, working through a difficulty, whatever. And there's the, uh, kind of, let's say, the normal range and the normal type of the fabrication of the perception of self and other. A second um, possibility is um, what I'm going to say in inverted commas is no self. And I'm putting that in inverted commas just because it's it's so common for people to report, oh, no self, there was no self, I was sitting with so-and-so and we were doing this or that inside dialogue or whatever and there was no self. Um, I, I, would, I would say actually this refers to a range of ways and degrees of less self and other fabricating. So there's so many possibilities here. We could um, all, we could feel like we are... Um, Everything, including you and me, is uh, all one awareness, one cosmic awareness, one cosmic love, as some classic examples. They could be just the fading of personality. So my usual self um, doesn't arise, and I'm not even really um, kind of framing the other person in terms of their personality or their usual personality that I'm used to or they're used to. It may just be the fading of a kind of gross reactivity. So there's a really deep equanimity and quieting of the kind of the push and pull, the rub, the yes, the the, the reactions of the being to whatever is happening. It could be um, I experience. There's just five aggregates here, and there's just five aggregates there, um, and then all kinds of deeper perceptions of emptiness. Um, all of these involve some degree of fabricating of the self and of the perception of other, um, but less than the normal one that we usually uh, are used to. 
So that's a possibility too. Um, the normal self-sense, number one. Number two is just, uh, let's say, not no self, but less self in, in all kinds of different ways. Third possibility is the um, uh, is soul-making imaginal perception, the sensing with soul of self and other. In other words, the self that I feel myself to be right now, or the and or the other that I perceive there is imaginal. It's not the normal. It's not the normal um, uh, self sense. It's the non-imaginal self sense. Neither is it particularly unfabricated, uh, like far down that spectrum. But it's an imaginal perception. It's a sensing the soul, the self, and other, um, and again, world and eros and whatever. And that would be the third possibility. The fourth, which I can't remember if I've mentioned yet. Um, is a sense of a third. Um, but sometimes what can happen in dyads is this: I sense you, I sense me, and then I sense we, I sense us. And that us feels like not so much an independent soul entity, but it feels like it's, it's, like a, it's, it's, uh, it's a kind of soul. Somehow it includes us, somehow it's separate from us. Um, so there's a sensing with soul of the dyad itself as a soul, if, if that makes sense. Um, and that can arise in addition or at the same times as, as the sense of, of self and other. Um, so that would be a fourth kind of um, sense of self and other that we could uh, delineate there as possible, something to look out for. This this arising of a we, you know, it's um. Well, maybe I'll let you explore it. But it's potentially very significant. And um, I remember an interview with James Hillman that I read uh, some years ago in a book of interviews. It's I found very interesting read. Um, uh, he said, "I'm talking about love," and he said, "Love needs a third. Love needs a third. So two is not enough." to sustain love. There's, I love you, you love me, wonderful. And for that love to be really, for it to be fertile, and when it is fertile, there's the arising, the, the sense of a, a third. Um, and that the two, each, both together, are in relationship to that third. And if that third also becomes sensed with soul, if it has soul significance, soul resonances, if it's an imaginal perception, um, I don't just mean an intrapsychic, but but um, uh, um, if it's sensed with soul, um, then that allows uh, it, it, it. It's it's another level of again anchor for the relationship, another uh, uh, kind of uh, influx or nourishment. Or service um, for the relationship. Um, so I'm reminded of a friend, and uh, her parents sounds like um, stayed in love with each other uh, right into their very old age, um, in what sounds like quite a delightful way. Um, and partly, I. I wonder, unlike some other relationships that I can think of where that withers or uh, something 
you know happens to the love there. Um, her parents were actually both very, um, let's say, committed Catholics, but also um, their Catholicism had had a sense of depth and and uh, soul meaning for, for both of them. And so there was this third that they were kind of um, in the service of through their marriage and uh, and. And, and they were in relationship too. But anyway, there's lots of possibilities for this sense of we. It doesn't have to be quite something like that. It could just be the sense of we too sitting here. I can see that you're separate, and I feel separate to a certain extent, and yet there's this sense of a third, that we're kind of um, also can get a, 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 not quite an amalgam, because the, the, the separateness, the two-ness is retained in the we, but the we forms itself as a kind of a third unit, if you like. Um, you could say we're in it, you could say it's separate from us both. Hard to articulate, but lots of possibilities. So I mention that as a as a something uh, that, that's possible uh, to open up and to discover. Um, but let's let's go a little slow here. Uh, if there's all these different relations, different possibilities for the self sense and the other sense, um, in terms of whether they're imaginal, whether they're less fabricated, whether they're normal, etc., um, again we're potentially faced with choices of navigation. How much conventionally human uh, uh, perception um, versus more fully imaginal at any time? What's where on that spectrum towards the sort of um, fully, fully imaginal, fully authentic um, sensing the soul and eros um, on that whole spectrum from the conventional to the um, fully imaginal? What's right right now? What feels right? How am I going to decide? What determines that? Um, and and there's the possibility of steering it. So, um, you know, sometimes when things are really imaginal, sometimes, not always, but sometimes then we're not so interested in our personal stories, in the conventional human personal stories. We're two almost other beings relating to each other. Sometimes the personal stories are then viewed imaginally, and they're sensed with soul, so there's not necessarily a separation there. Um, sometimes um, attraction might come up of different kinds. Um, maybe there is eros, maybe it's sexual, maybe there's a sexual image and sexual energy comes up. Um, maybe there's sexual, there's sexual desire, but it's not really eros in the full sense that we mean it in terms of it's impregnating the imaginal. And there might be imagination there, but it's not really imaginal. Um, then... Uh, okay, is that okay right now? Or do we want to steer it away from that in different ways? Um, can I, for instance, see the human as divine manifestation, this human or that human, or as portal into the divine? And that will do something to the whole sensing, the whole perception. Um, or I may be able to see and sense my my human eros as the manifestation of divine eros, all all this all this uh, range is possible, and all this navigation is possible. And again, the question is like, what's right right now? 
why are we choosing this? What, what feels appropriate or uh, necessary even? What can also happen sometimes is that um, if you think this self and the other and also the world or the environment and each of those um, and the couple, the two, uh, can be perceived um, let's say conventionally humanly or imaginally or somewhere along that spectrum. So what that means um, you've got four elements self, other the couple, the we and the world and each of them can be let's just put it in the binary either imaginal or conventional and all the different permutations of that so in one of the examples I gave before, you know, I I was in the imaginal perception, my imaginal self, relating to um, uh, actually not in an example before, but I could be this this imaginal self relating to a conventionally conceived human self. They might sense themselves conventionally in this conventional human sense, not imaginal. I might sense them that way, um, or we both might be imaginal. Or, um, uh, of course, the um, can both be conventional. Can, um, can be that my partner is an imaginal um, being. We're both perceiving her imaginally, but I'm still in my usual uh, conventional sense of self, and he, she, they are looking at me from that imaginal perspective and talking to me and maybe even um, that kind of gaze is uh, and that kind of relating from an imaginal to a conventional is is healing there's all you can i don't know how many you'd have to calculate the possibilities there um, in all those different elements each of which can be in in any position there um, you have to be just throw this in, you have to be a little bit careful if, if one is an imaginal other speaking to a conventionally conceived human self you know, I'm a little cautious about sort of um, kind of new age channeling things and stuff like that, so all of it's imaginal middle way, etc, all of it's with the fullness of intention for soul making etc but again, there's all these possibilities and directions that can um, suddenly find themselves in a certain constellation of these different permutations, or you deliberately you're aware of it and you're, you're actually cultivating a certain um, re- relationship between one kind and another kind there. Um, but all these, all these are possibilities um, of what can open there. And uh, healing is you know, relevant to all, all that is relevant to healing sometimes, but again, fullness of intention, not just for healing, and um, although that's in the bag of gifts. Um, but again, the question of what, what feels right here, what feels um, the most soul-making, um, maybe at times what feels the most healing, how do we want to navigate, how do we navigate, etc., with that. So in a way, um, what we also could say in terms, again, in terms of um, what all this kind of, all these 
realms and possibilities of practice, they demand of us a great sensitivity. So we could say, just in relation to what I just said, um, it demands a kind of triple sensitivity and triple capacity, uh, at least. Um, you know, one is to uh, <clears throat> uh, sensitivity uh, and capability of skillful relationship um, to the human level of the other, um, regarding them, relating to them, respecting them as in, in the conventional human sense. Is that there? To what degree is that there? What, how can I cultivate it more? Um, second uh, sensitivity and capacity needed is um, to, to my human level, like my, I'm calling it human, conventionally human uh, conception, sense of myself. I can actually be sensitive to, uh, ouch, that hurt when when they just said that, or or I need this right now, or whatever it is. Um, and to and thirdly, uh, sensitivity and capability of skillful and artful relationship with an image that's present. So the needs and requests of all three, um, conventionally human other, conventionally human self, whatever images are present, um, they determine, if you like, together what is what is then appropriate. So I hope all this makes sense in terms of um, possibilities and things to look out for. Now, I said I wasn't going to talk much about Eros, and I'm, or rather I'm not going to talk much about when there's really a lot of Eros um, between the two members of the dyad. Um, I say just a little bit, but um, <coughs> not won't really go into it and that whole realm and uh, level of possibility. Um, just to be aware uh, that in some instances, or with whatever, when there's a certain spark or just the conditions are supportive, just how much eros may arise um, for the other, and then you know this begs the, the, this uh, brings the questions: Can I contain it? Um, am I okay with that? Um, are they okay with it? Uh, can can we hold the boundary, whatever the boundary is, if there is a boundary? Um, can I, you know, can I handle all that eros, all that desire, all that sexual energy, if if that's what's arising? Um, uh, what about you know, said the boundaries, but also what about just the inevitable um, slips of? Eros into craving, the contraction into craving um, of the imaginal into some kind of reified perception. Does my art uh, extend to the ability to notice when that's happening? Because it feels very different. I notice when that's happening and I can um, uh, open things up, I can change things, I can support the movement the expansion of craving into Eros and of reified perception, fixation fixated image into imaginal image. Um, and again, what else am I bringing in? Do I, um, do I need to feel attractive here? Because um, that's not the fullness of intention, is it? Um, uh, as always, you know, che- checking, okay, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of sexual energy, there's a lot of desire, whatever, it's definitely got some eros in it. Is it soul-making? Um, and, and as always, letting that be the guide. Um, 
some people will be practicing this kind of diet where um, this situation, either they're already in a romantic sexual relationship or they want to be and it's fine, there's no other issues, there's no boundary issues and it's all, it's kind of open territory. Um, and they m- might be open and okay to having, you know, sex or some degree of sexual intimacy. Um, and it might be that in, in the course of working in a diet, there's a lot of eros, sexual eros that arises and, and people decide to, you know, be sexual uh, together. Um, so as I said, it, that's grown-ups, consenting adults. Um, it's it's their choice, uh, of course, and that's that's available um, as human beings, um, as long as it's okay with the other people. Um, but just a word about that. Careful, um, if I'm interested in the soul-making diet, careful about the intention. Um, it may be that actually having some uh, physical, actual sexual contact may be soul-making, or uh, you may find, if, if this is your situation, this is what you uh, explore as part of your larger explorations, um, you may find that being sexual um, in a soul-making diet or, 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 or kind of a soul-making diet leading in, into that um, may actually squander the erotic charge and the erotic tension necessary to sensing the soul. The tunus collapses, the sexual energy and, and charge collapses in different ways. Um, now, that in itself is, is fine, but it's a certain choice, and it's something to be aware of, and something to decide, is that is that what we want right now? Um, if, or, it could be that, um, th- that you decide to be sexual, and um, physically sexual, and what is... The question, what is needed if we want to allow that and support that sexual contact to be uh, sensed with soul, to actually to be soul-making. So remember, soul-making is more than heart. We can have our lovely heartful making love or whatever. Um, you know, it could be, or, or kind of, it has a whole range, but soul-making means more than heart and more than a lot of other things. So what might be needed, if that's what we decide on, in this instance or whatever, that we're going to be sexual, we're going to make love or whatever it is, have some, some kind of sexual intimacy, um, uh, actual physical sexual intimacy, then what, and we want it to be uh, soul-making, then what supports that? Does it have to do with the intention? Does it have to do with attention? What kind of attention? Um, does it have to do with the pacing of the whole unfolding of the process? Um, perhaps. So I don't think there's any formula here, but you'll have to, um, if this is um, speaking just to those where this is relevant to um, at the moment, um, you'll have to kind of feel, okay, well, how, how does that happen? You can have um, a lot of um, sense of soul and sensing the soul at one moment and then it suddenly collapses like I said just doesn't you can't assume that just because I had it now now we change to this uh, activity mode of behavior whatever it is we're going to have sex and I assume that the soul making sense continues maybe but often not it will it needs a certain kind of care and what does it need I have to kind of 
experiment and find out, perhaps. Or it might be that um, you, you decide to, okay, there's a lot of yours, there's a lot of charge, maybe you're talking about it, maybe you're including it and working with it, but you keep the formal time, whatever that was that you decided to uh, devote to soul-making diet practice, you keep that formal time for practice and that formal space, um, and you let the eros um, channel into the sensing with soul without acting it out during that time and afterwards. Um, you know, your mobile phone timer goes off, right, the diet's over, then you can do whatever you want, you know. Um, but these are choices. Again, it's not for me to set any rules or, or whatever. Um, but again, just to point out how much, how sensitive the whole thing is, how sensitive the um, sensing with soul is, how sensitive the diet is, how sensitive we are as creatures and as souls. And... Uh, and, and what care is needed, and to find out, and to experiment. A couple more things. Um, I mean, sometimes, and again, depends on the situation, depends on the actual relationship between two human beings uh, who are in a diet, etc. But it may be that one feels um, lots of um, uh, sexual desire, uh, sexual eros uh, for for the other, and lets the other know. Um, so person A feels a lot of um, sexual desire, etc. And person B actually feels it and is aware of it, and uh, lets person A know that they can feel it, um, and uh, can feel it flowing toward them, and that actually they appreciate it, and that it's lovely. And uh, then it may be more uh, bearable uh, energetically um, in and for person, lost track which one, person A. Um, uh, is it, you know, one more, is it just because they shared it that it's then spread, so to speak, to be held in a larger field of the dyad? Um, so there's less pressure, more space, less pressure, and they're not just trying to hold it inside. Um, or... or you know, they're not just carrying themselves, or is it the fact that in knowing that it's okay, and being reassured that it's okay for that degree of eros and desire and sexual energy to be around, that the other person doesn't feel threatened by it, etc., that um, they're, they're, they feel a need, uh, they feel less need to sort of button it down and repress it or hide it or whatever. Um, so again, depending on the relationship, dependent on the trust, dependent on the context, etc., um, including these things and talking about them and being careful how you hold them together, what you do with them, how you decide, how you how you sense them, how you relate to them are uh, really, um, really important. Um, but there's so much, um, so much potential here. In diet practice, so I'm, I'm not, as I said, I'm, I'm just mentioning a, a few things about when the sexual eros gets really uh, quite strong and intense, but um, really when there's any eros between human beings, not even working in a diet, not even sexual, um, this, it, that eros, as, as we've pointed out so much over the last few years, it's it's a key and uh, a, a galvanizer of the whole soul making 
dynamic and therefore the sensing the soul and what that can open us to and bring to us and um, give to us, to the being. Um, there's a couple of lines from Rumi actually in this regard and um, I don't know where it's from but I'm assuming it's a poem that he wrote to Shams, his, his mystical lover and uh, it says, The tender words we said to one another are stored in the secret heart of heaven. The tender words we said to one another are stored in the secret heart of heaven. One day, like rain, they will fall and spread, and our mystery will grow green over the world. One day, like rain, they will fall and spread, and our mystery will grow green over the world. We could hear that... um, I don't know exactly what Rumi's whole philosophy was, um, despite the beauty of the poetry, but um, we stored in the secret heart of heaven, the tender words we said to one another, stored in the secret heart of heaven, stored in the mundus imaginalis, stored in that realm or dimension of being, of, of eternality. They're stored there, at that, at that level in the angelic realm, when we have, when our tender words are spoken out of sensing each other with soul. Uh, when, not even just words, but those perceptions, that sensing itself is stored somehow eternally. And you have, again, eternality as one of the nodes, one of the elements of the imaginal. There is that sense that they exist somehow. They make an imprint, an impression, and somehow they're eternal. Of course it's impermanent, but in some other way, this this profound sensing the soul that has touched my being, touched my heart and soul. It feels to be eternal. I sense it as eternal. It's stored in the secret heart of heaven, in the mundus imaginaris. One day, like rain, they will fall and spread, and our mystery will grow green over the world. It's like a kind of cosmopoesis. Those words, that gaze, that sensing the soul will spread and its mystery will grow green over the world. It changes our sense of the world that we're in. And as I said, um, I shared in an earlier talk in this series, you know, sometimes there is a sense uh, with any image, intrapsychic or extrapsychic, but perhaps more keenly I wonder when we're working in a, in a diet or when um, we're sharing this sense um, of participating in an imaginal sense, participating in, in, in an image with an other. Um, that sense of participating, the privilege of participating in that dimension of being, in that, whatever we want to call it, the mundus imaginaris, the angelic dimension, um, uh, is, can be felt to be such a privilege, um, such a grace, um, to participate in, in the eternal that way. Uh, and in the um, in the divine that way can be sent, sensed and felt um, in in the depths of the depths of, of one's soul as as perhaps one of the greatest privileges of human being and to taste that even if it's only for some moments or a few minutes can change the whole um, tenor and, and outlook and, and relationship with existence with life and death. Taste that for a few minutes, taste that for a few moments even, changes my relationship with dying young. 
changes the way I sense myself, my human being, other, this particular other, but human being in general, changes my sense of the world. So that's there with all images, intrapsychic or extrapsychic, all sensing the soul. But I wonder, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether there's something about um, sensing uh, oneself in relationship with another actual human being that way that um, can uh, bestow this gift and this grace and this sense of profound privilege. At any rate, so much is, is possible. Um, so much awaits discovery and creation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.